Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 88 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week is my girlfriend, Dana Nyland. Welcome back, Dana. How's your weekend been? Going well. We just watched um, the last movie that we sort of needed to watch for this podcast, which I'm sure we'll reveal what that was, and it was really good, so having a good day. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was also very good. It was great to wake up to that. We also watched the most recent episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I think we both really enjoyed that as well, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, so a good good day so far. This week is our annual Oscars predictions episode. After much delay, the 2021 Academy Awards ceremony will take place on Sunday, April 25th, which will be the Sunday after this episode airs. So what we're going to do today is we are going to go through each of the categories and make two picks. First, our predicted winner. So this is the nomination that we think the Academy will award come Sunday night, regardless of whether or not we think that that is the correct nomination. And then second, we will also pick our personal winner or the person that we would vote for if it were up to us and we were in the Academy. And in some categories, we'll also pick a nomination to replace another nomination if we thought that there was a nomination that deserved to be here over another. So we'll start with the below the line categories and then work our way through the acting categories where we culminate with our predictions for best director and best picture. So just a few things to note before we get started. While we have seen almost every film that is nominated at the ceremony, there's a few that we just didn't get around to seeing. So we will mention those at the appropriate times. And along that line, we didn't get around to seeing a lot of the short films, um, some of the documentary films, some of the international films. So we'll be skipping a few of those categories simply because we just have nothing insightful to say about those categories. So that's that. And then as a final note, we'll be keeping all of our discussions on all of these films and these categories completely spoiler free. So you can listen freely even if you haven't seen every single film. So Dana, anything you want to add before we get started? No, not really. The one thing that I'll say, and we were talking about this a bit earlier, is I think that the hardest thing for me maybe in doing this was... Um, dealing with the recency bias of the fact that we've seen some of these films a lot more recently than others. Mm -hmm. And there are some movies that we watched months ago that I remember really, really loving. And it's hard to compare, you know, something that you watched a few months ago to something you watched today. So some of these things I'm like, "Eh, I don't know how I really feel, but I did my best to try to remember how I felt in the immediate aftermath. So what you're saying is you should have rewatched Mank. Yeah, I think if I had rewatched Mank, there is there's a high possibility that it would have been a clean sweep for <laughs> yeah. me. Okay, well, let's get into it then, but that's a good good note to mention. So we'll start with the elephant in the room. This is obviously the most important award of the night, barring maybe, maybe Best Picture. We're starting with Best Original Song. So the nominees for Best Original Song are Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah. Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7, Husevic from Eurovision Song Contest, EOC or Scene from The Life Ahead, and Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Dana, who are you voting for and who's your predicted winner for Best Original Song? So the song that I am voting for is, I would say, a a song that I feel comfortably that we can put out that the movie marathoners podcast has made an endorsement in this mm-hmm. best original song race on the record publicly um and that repeatedly. is yes um repeatedly so and that is Hugh Civic from Eurovision Song Contest the story of fire saga <laughs> 
Um, we were both really hoping that this would get nominated. We, I mean, we would have been happy, I think, with any song from Eurovision that got nominated. Um, but this just seemed like really the only realistic choice. Um, the, the music from Eurovision honestly slaps. It's so fun. I don't think this has a chance of winning, but I pray that it is performed live on whatever virtual stage the Oscars is doing. I don't think it will win. I did predict, um, that the winner will be Speak Now from One Night in Miami. I think that this is a place to give One Night in Miami an award. And I do think that that's a great movie and deserves some recognition. So I'm not like upset about it. But I think, you know, it didn't get a lot of nominations, so it sort of makes sense to hand that to them here. Yep, I agree with your vote. I agree with your prediction. Husevic definitely is the one that I would love to see win. You're right. I I don't think it has any serious chance of winning, but I don't know. Who knows? It would be amazing. It'd be so cool. I mean, it is the only only song from this list that's actually in the movie as opposed to on the so like credits yeah so maybe which is why this category is dumb yeah this category is really dumb it should only be films that had songs that were like relevant in to a the musical plot. Yeah, yeah or like but i guess there would be like husevic and then i don't know is there a song in soul that happens in the middle of it yeah, i don't know i don't know so it would be a pretty small category but the jamie dornan song from barb and star oh, there we go yeah <laughs> although that wasn't eligible because yeah. Of the window, right? Right, it came that's out at why Barb and Star exactly. doesn't have any nomination. Yeah. Well, let's move on. I don't really have a replacement for this category. Do you? No. Okay, so we can go ahead and move on to Best Original Score. So the nominees are Terrence Blanchard from The Five Bloods, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross from Mank, Emile Moseri from Minari, James Newton Howard from News of the World, and Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Baptiste from Soul. So we got double nominees for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, one for Mank, one for Soul. Dana, who's your vote and your prediction? Um, so yeah, I, I think that this is a race between Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and Atticus <laughs> Ross. And I think that the addition of John Batiste in Soul is really what gives that score the heart and pushes it over the edge to I think I voted and predicted for Soul to to win. Um, and I think, you know, Soul is a, is a movie in which I think of all these, especially music is most at its heart um, because it's, it you know, follows the, the life of Joe, who is a jazz musician. And it seems like reading about it that the character of Joe was really strongly influenced by the life of John Batiste and how he thinks and talks about jazz. And so I think that um, it'll be really nice to see them get the win that I think they'll get. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, too. Um, it's my vote. It's my prediction. Soul. It's a wonderful movie. The music is really, really good. And I really enjoy the etherealness that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross bring and how that mixes with John Batiste's more classic uh, composition. I will say that this category is pretty damn stacked. I think all five of these nominees are really good. Um, the Five Bloods, fantastic. Mank, I really like that score too. It's very different, but um, still excellent. And Minari and News of the World, those are some of the best features of that movie. Maybe not so much Minari because Minari is really good all across the board, but I wasn't a huge fan of of News of the World, and I thought that the score was actually really good regardless of that. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because we just watched that the other night, and honestly, I don't. The score <laughs> didn't leave a huge impact on me. Um, well, do you have a replacement then that you would put here instead of one of those? Or? No, I mean, I don't like... I don't think so. The Midnight Sky also had a very good score. Yeah, um, and that was nominated at um, Golden Globes. Yeah, I think. and I think other places. 
Um, but Soul's been winning everywhere, like in all the precursor awards. Soul's yeah. been taking at home. So yeah, so no hot takes over here. Let's go ahead and move on to best sound. So this is a category that originally was two separate awards. It was best sound right. editing and best sound mixing, I believe. Yeah. And they just said, let's put it together. I think that's kind of controversial in the sound community. I think personally, as an awards ceremony, it makes sense to just put those things together and kind of like consolidate it because mm -hmm. it was so confusing anyways, like what the differences were. But our nominees are Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. So I'll go ahead and take this one first. We have the same answer here, though, Dana. Um, my vote and my prediction is Sound of Metal. Um, this movie got a ton of nominations, rightfully so, I think, more than I was expecting. Uh, and I think just based on where it fell and the competition and all of them, this is where the movie is going to get rewarded. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes sense, too, given what the subject matter of the film is. Mm -hmm. The sound composition is phenomenal. It is immersive. It kind of makes the movie. So mm -hmm. I don't see how there's really an argument here. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think that the the innovations that it, it takes to to sort of put you in the the point of view perspective of Ruben, um, who does lose his hearing, is is something that I haven't really experienced with any other film. And I think it's interesting to see um if we see other movies do this in the future going forward more. And I think, yeah, I, I would be shocked if if anything else takes it away from Sound of Metal. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is that the sound categories tend to go to the louder, noisier movies mm -hmm. for the most part, or the ones that are sort of the blockbuster but, uh, Yeah, but ones. I don't think that any of these other, like, what what, what of these movies would you say? Right, that's, that's where I was going to go with this. There's not really an answer to that for this year because there were no blockbusters. So um, I think if Tenet had been nominated, then maybe that would stand a chance because that's kind of the most best picture of the blockbusters that we got. Yeah, but um, the fact that it wasn't even nominated, right. though. So, you know, maybe they throw Greyhound a bone. That would be kind of random. But yeah, I don't think I it can needs a that. bone. I don't know. We'll see. And, and who knows? I mean, Mank also has really good sound because it is so based in the period, right? Mm -hmm. So there is good sound composition in that film. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think that personally... Sound of Metal is better. And I think a lot of people are going to be remembering the sound and associating that with that film more than these other ones. Mm -hmm. So let's go ahead and move on. We got Best Visual Effects. Speaking of there being no blockbusters, this is kind of an odd category here. We've got the nominees are Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, which I did an episode on. I feel <laughs> like nobody else watched that movie except me and my guest, Brett. So Didn't Brett watch it multiple times, too? I, I think he did. Well, no, he, he watched Artemis Fowl oh, a right, lot. I right. think he may have only been the one time with the one and only Ivan. But uh, all right, burying the lead here and also Tenet. So, Dana, what is your prediction and your vote for best visual effects? So to speak to my vote, I'm going for an underdog here. I know it's not going to win, um, but I would throw my vote towards Love and Monsters. And I think that the the visual effects in Love and Monsters are cool because, you know, the monsters are, you know, created by visual effects. And I think that they <laughs> they look, you know, reasonably um, realistic, like, you know, quote unquote. Rendered, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know they the way that they move is is credible it doesn't feel too hokey and in in a movie where you're really relying on that um i think sometimes it can really take you out of it like you know in like the hobbit or in fantastic beasts where you're like this doesn't look mm -hmm. good yeah. and i i think that it works in this movie and i also think it's funny to think about tenet 
losing to Love and Monsters. <laughs> Tenet is the movie that I do think will be awarded here. That is my prediction. So that's what I expect to happen. But something I thought was funny is that I, I did look at an interview with the VFX supervisor for Love and Monsters, and he was like shocked, I guess, that they were nominated. <laughs> and he actually said that when they got the announcement that they were on the long list of like 20 nominees or whatever, they were like told to put together a document for a little presentation and that they just didn't do it because they were just like, oh, we're on the too long list or whatever. And so then when they got nominated, they were like, again, like just blown away because they did not think with Love and Monsters that they were going to get an Oscar nom, um, which I mean, we saw the movie and we liked the movie, but I too am a little amused well, it's that it's shocking. Nominated. Yeah, because it's such a small movie, but I think the visual effects are not only good, but they're unique. Mm -hmm. I have never seen monster designs like that before. Mm -hmm. um, it feels very Amblin-y or, I mean, you know, I just said it was original and then referenced the most famous visual effects studio of monster effects. But mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know, there, there's something about the way that those monsters move and the way that they interact with the environment that feels very organic and natural, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. So that would be my vote too. Do I think it's going to win? Probably not. Um, I think Tenet is going to win as well. It's just the one that of these five is the most best picturey, mm -hmm. and that's the one that they tend to go to. Like, I don't think a Marvel movie has ever actually won best effects, and yeah. that's fine. They're not that good of special effects or anything like that. But it's yeah. usually the one that you could see in the best picture field. And I think out of these, the only one that I could see in the best picture field is Tenet. If the Midnight Sky was better reviewed, then maybe I would pick that one but i don't mm -hmm. even really um oh yeah there's a whole part of that movie that's in space i was like yeah. where are the special effects but yeah um, and and also this is this is really the only place that tenet can win an award i yeah. think um and so maybe they'll kind of you know want to recognize it in some way we're sorry you ruined cinemas here's an <laughs> award for visual effects that people will watch your movie on their small tv um did you have a replacement because i do have one here no i did not my replacement is I would replace Mulan, which I thought had remarkably average special effects, classic Disney fare, and I would replace it with Sonic the Hedgehog because I think that that movie did a lot of really fun things. It was one of the only blockbusters. I think it's one of the highest grossing films of 2020. And also they actually listened to feedback of fans and were like, oh, you think Sonic looks like an abomination? We'll fix it. And they fixed it. And I think it would be kind of cool to reward that with a nomination. But I won't lose any sleep over this. Yeah, and it's funny that you that you bring that up because I, I wouldn't have thought of that. And p partially just because we saw Sonic so long ago. That was one of the last movies that we actually saw in mm -hmm. theaters. Um, but we both did love that movie. And yeah, I, I, I think it had strong VFX. And I'm not, <laughs> you know, I have no fond memories of the ones in Mulan. So that's good with me. You know what? I just realized also is another movie that we saw, you know, over a year ago at this point in theaters that had really good VFX is The Invisible Man. Oh, true. Um, that would be a great one to nominate here. Yeah. I that, feel it's like... almost counterintuitive because of the invisibility thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And that would have, yeah, that would have been a good place to recognize it because it should have gotten some Awards love. Yeah. yeah. To me, that kind of reminds me of almost like an Ex Machina win if that thing were to be nominated and potentially win. Because mm -hmm. Ex Machina was one of those films that was super small, low budget, and then it got a visual effects award. And mm -hmm. that was so cool. Mm -hmm. But I guess no dice for them. Let's go ahead and move on to best cinematography. So this is filming stuff that's actually in the screen. We have nominated Sean Bobbitt for Judas and the Black Messiah, Eric Messerschmidt for Mank, Darius Walski for News of the World, 
Joshua James Richards for Nomadland, and Fadon Papa Michael for The Trial of the Chicago 7. I can go ahead and take this one again first as well. My vote for this is Nomadland. My prediction for this is Nomadland. I think, uh, you know, this probably won't be the first award that Nomadland wins on the night, but in the order that we have these awards for whatever reason, um, this is the beginning of the Nomadland sweep Mm -hmm. for me. I don't see anything else winning here. Yeah, I I agree. I also predicted Nomadland. I ultimately voted Nomadland. I thought about putting Judas for a bit, but I swung Nomadland, Nomadland ultimately. And I think that the cinematography is is part of Nomadland that you have to recognize because it is a very quiet film. You know, it's not something mm-hmm. that has um a, that much of a plot or you know anything super shiny going on. So the visual storytelling and composition, I think, is really important. And I think um, it's interesting. I, I read that um, Chloe Zhao has worked with the same the same cinematographer, Joshua James Richards, um, since they went to film school together. They went to NYU together. Mm. And I think that that makes a lot of sense because um, in her movies, she has you know she has a very unique way about them, of, and it, particularly in her the way that she works with non actors and the way that her films are sort of understated. And so it makes a lot of sense that. Um, she's been working with the same person who sort of understands that style and she feels conveys it well um, and I think really matches her tone. And I think that um, he deserves and will get some recognition here. Yeah, it's very verite filmmaking and mm-hmm. it's from afar. It's a lot of wide shots. There's not a lot of close ups other than when you're with Fern, who is played by Francis McDormand, who is kind of the only main uh, actual actor. So I think all of that checks out. That makes complete sense to me. I did have a replacement here, and I was electing to replace The Trial of the Chicago 7 with one of three films. Um, Let me know what you think about these. Either The Midnight Sky, Tenet, or The Five Bloods. I think that all three of those movies, even if they're not some of my favorite movies, I I really liked Tenet, but the other two, not not as much. But I think the cinematography of those movies is very memorable, Mm -hmm. Um, and I find The Trial of the Chicago 7 shot... Other than, you know, the scene when they're being attacked in the park, like that one has really, really dynamic cinematography. And I think that that's shot with a lot of kineticism and it really captures the action and the tension very well. But most of it is pretty much like, well, let's just let the actors act and let the words speak for themselves. So it's kind of weird to reward cinematography here for them. So I would pick one of those three. What do you think, Dana? Yeah, I think that that sounds very reasonable. I agree that even for those who are fans of The Trial of the Chicago 7, I wouldn't say that that the standout part of it is the cinematography. Um, you know, it's a it's a courtroom drama for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and it's a dialogue-driven movie, um, you know, which isn't to say that those things are mutually exclusive to having good cinematography, but the movies that you mentioned definitely, I would say, um, you know, rely more on the visual storytelling and i think yeah i think when i when i of the three of these that you mentioned i think i would pick to five bloods but i i think i agree that any of these three make more sense to me in here than than trial cool cool well let's go ahead and move on to best costume design so this is one that i know you're very heavily invested in dana we've got <laughs> emma mank ma rainey's black bottom mulan and pinocchio which I did not know was an actual movie that came out other than the one from 1937 or whatever. So apparently there's a new Pinocchio. You ever heard of it? Yeah, I actually, well, 
I remember watching the older, like, Italian version of live-action Pinocchio, and it was terrifying. So I haven't seen much out of this one. But <laughs> live-action Pinocchio, just, like, as a concept, is very unsettling. I think Guillermo del Toro is doing a live-action Pinocchio. Really? Yeah. And somebody else is too. There's Roberto like Roberto Benigni um, did this one, I think, who was also the, he was Pinocchio, I believe, in the Italian mm. um, Pinocchio. But I think in this one, he's Geppetto, but I'm not sure. Oh, so it's like a legacy sequel kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, no one should quote me on this <laughs> if you're considering. Well, no one quote me on this either, but I do think that there are two live action Pinocchios in the works. There's one from Disney. And then there's one. Are they from all Netflix. just called Pinocchio? Or is anyone like being like the wooden boy? The legend of Pinocchio yeah. or something? <laughs> Fire I, saga. I don't know. Well, so what is your vote? What is your prediction for okay, this one? So my vote and prediction um, were easy for this one. I think it'll be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I think that this is, you know, entirely going pretty much on Viola Davis um, and mm-hmm. her costuming because I think that that character and that character's image, I mean, beyond being the titular role, is just like. <laughs> And not the obviously, you know, she's not the only important character in the movie. And obviously, Chadwick Boseman, to name just one, is a huge part of that movie. But I think just visually, when I think of that movie, I think of how Viola Davis looks. And I think that this is a no contest, pretty much. Yeah, it's got my vote. It's got my prediction. Um, I could see Mank potentially winning here just because they do have a lot of really cool um, costumes in that movie. And I could see them rewarding it. For costumes more so than for makeup and hairstyling, which we can kind of quickly transition to that one too. The best makeup and hairstylings are almost the exact same awards, uh, or I mean nominees. You've got Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. And I think both of us, again, are predicting and voting for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, right? Yeah, I yeah. and for the same reasons above, pretty much. Yeah. And so I think makeup and hairstyling is definitely in the bag for Ma Rainey's. I could see, you know, maybe... I think the costume design branch really likes period pieces and stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe Emma yeah, gets I a think, little love. I think that could happen. Potentially, um, maybe Mank, but I, I would be shocked. Or, you know, I would I would bet a lot of money on... Actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet <laughs> any money. But I would expect Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and move on to the next award. Best Production Design. The nominees are The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Oh, look, Tenet got another nomination here. I didn't actually really realize that. Um, all right, my vote and my prediction are the same as yours, Dana. Mm-hmm. It is Mank. Mank got nominated, what, like 11 times? Yeah, I think it has the most nominations. Yeah, uh, so it would be kind of shocking if it didn't come away with something. And I am willing to bet that it comes away with Best Production Design because I'm pretty sure it's not going to come away with Much any else. of the other awards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I um, I know you were a little shocked to see that I had given Mank <laughs> anything because I'm kind of... Well, not that you predicted it, but that you actually voted for it, yeah, too. Yeah, and I mean, that is is honestly, I, I didn't, I don't like, I, I don't feel that strongly that any of these other movies, like, you know, really need this award. I think that, like, I mean, I'm not going to go through them all, but like, I just have like reasons for all of them, even if I like the movies where I'm like, eh, I will, I'm not like, you know, hell bent on specifically the production <laughs> design of this movie being immaculate. And I do think that Mank is like really effectively like a period piece and it looks believably of its time and it's styled well. So I, you know, I'm just kind of like at peace with the fact that I think it will win. So I'm like, yeah, OK, we'll just take it. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about Mank that I tried to 
mention in my review of it uh, with Matt Neglia from Best Picture. If you want to check that out, it's, it's, a, it's a good episode. But anyways, um, one of the things that we pointed out was that I really like that it doesn't feel like a movie from 2020 that's trying to take place in the 1940s. It genuinely feels like a 1940s movie. And that is in no small part due to the production design and the aesthetics and the lighting, cinematography, all of that stuff. I think it looks really, really good. So I would be pretty happy to see it win something because I do think that even if it's kind of cold, even if not a lot of people loved it, I enjoyed it well enough. And I think that the technical craft is enough that I would like to see it be at least a one-time award winner. Yeah. Also, we don't want David Fincher to have to take 11 shots. Yeah, just 10 shots. (laughs) So um, let's go ahead and move on to best film editing. So we have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. You're going to be hearing basically those five movies over and over again for the next couple categories after we pass documentary feature and and animated feature. So Dana, who of these kind of cream of the crop nominees wins film editing for you? So I voted and predicted The Sound of Metal. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, editing is something that when I watch a movie... Oftentimes, I only feel like I notice the editing if I think the editing is bad. (laughs) So sometimes it's hard for me to compare the editing in movies where I think the editing is good. I was deciding between this and The Father, um, which I saw that that you put. So you must have sort of made a a last minute change there. So is there something about the editing in The Father that you felt like was really good? So it's interesting to hear you say that you don't really notice film editing unless it's bad. Um, I think that's very true for a lot of people. And I think the kind of opposite of that is also true, that people don't notice good film editing unless it's flashy film editing Mm -hmm. and unless the film editing is kind of center focus. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same reason that people are going to gravitate so much to best sound with Sound of Metal is because you associate Sound of Metal with the sound. Even though, you know, Mank, not really a sound movie, has really good sound because it is a movie movie right well yeah yeah. and so i think the same thing is going to happen here with the father i think the father the way that that film is edited is very specific to what the film is about Mm -hmm. and how the story is told and so while i don't know you know i don't have enough information or expertise to reflect and go well this editing is better than the editing in nomadland or promising young woman or the trial of the chicago seven like I do think that because the editing is so center focus or center frame in The Father, people are going to go, well, that had editing. And I think it's the same way that Bohemian Rhapsody a couple years won film editing. And, you know, there was always that stupid tweet of how many cuts there were. Yeah, I remember that very well. I was thinking of it. And and so people were using that as an example of this has really shitty editing. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that that scene showed that editing existed in the movie. Mm -hmm. and. So, yeah, I know it was more of a recognition of the fact that editing existed at all. Yeah. In so far or like instead of that, oh, this editing was particularly top notch. And I do think that most of the Academy will feel the same way. So that's why my prediction is the father. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Have I convinced you? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I could have gone either way on these and, you know, I'm I'm not enough of an, an editing buff to be, you know, really, really hyped up about who wins this. So I, w- I would be fine with either of these winning. You know, checking at midnight what the ACE Award winners are? No, I am not. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. I'll be interested to see if you follow me when we make our final predictions. Then, uh, you know, 
right the night before. So maybe um, maybe I should have held that closer to the vest. I don't know. Anyways, we can go ahead and move on to best documentary feature. So the nominations are Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. So before we do get into these, um, this is a fe- this is a category that we didn't see all of the nominations for. Uh, there were a couple categories also that like we didn't see Pinocchio, for example, but most of the other films we've seen um, before. But this one, we've only seen Crip Camp and My Octopus Teacher. Fortunately, I do believe that the race is between those two. So, Dana, what is your vote? What is your prediction? So, um, I ultimately predicted my octopus teacher, which is surprising because the other day I was like, we have to watch another one because I don't think my octopus teacher is going to win. But then I went online <laughs> and I guess people think it's going to. And it does have some of the most amazing underwater footage I've seen. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, that's there's something to be said for that. And his relationship with the octopus is certainly also unlike anything I've ever seen. I don't uh, want to steal this from you, but didn't you say that men will literally do this instead of go to therapy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He uh, he he needs to find a connection with a human, I think. Um, but I, I did more for so. sixty dollars en- an hour. <laughs> I did more so enjoy Crip Camp, which, which we just recently watched. Um which is about a New York state summer camp in the 70s where young people with disabilities could kind of just hang out and be themselves and live independently because they were all just like helping each other out with what they needed. And, um, you know, ultimately it goes on to sort of make itself about the disability rights movement because a lot of the people who went to that camp um, ultimately went on to be major players in the disability rights movement. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both parts of the movie are interesting, sort of the first part that focuses on the camp and the second part that focuses a little bit more on the political, um, you know, movement that they led. But I think what really set this apart for me was the first part because it has footage that um, the the guy who made this documentary took when he was at the camp in the seventies when he was like a fifteen yeah. year old, and you know he's just carrying around a camcorder. And I think for a lot of people, you you see you know people with disabilities in a way that they are almost never represented or maybe never at all represented in movies or in media and you know you see them having these authentic conversations with each other where there's no one else around about you know what how they are treated and how they would like to be treated and what they want to be different and i think that it's really moving and i would definitely recommend it um to anyone who likes documentaries yeah i agree with that and um that's why crip camp is my vote and my prediction is also my octopus teacher the the thing that i'll also say about crip camp is what i found really refreshing about it is that it presents individuals with disabilities in a light that doesn't focus so much on their disability. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the representation in media and even really good representation and really good films and TV shows and stuff show the person with a disability kind of overcoming the disability. And the disability is something that they have to embrace or that they have mm-hmm. to accept. And it's almost bordering on um, misery porn. And it's almost clearly made for abled individuals to Mm -hmm. be like, wow, look at these people for overcoming such a major disability. Mm -hmm. And in this film, instead of doing that, they just show this community of these individuals that happen to be disabled and show, look at what life can be like if society was more accepting, if society was less biased about this if society was built in a way that would be more accommodating mm-hmm. to these individuals. And so it's less looking at it like, 
wow, isn't this sad or almost more perversely, isn't this beautiful that they can be happy despite this? Mm -hmm. It's posing it as just look at these people that are happy Mm -hmm. and look at this community that we didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think it really shines a light on what politicians and society at large are failing to do to make the public space in general more accessible to everyone because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's clearly the problem is not, you know, the disabilities themselves or the limited mobility because they're able to, you know, you watch them at camp, they're playing baseball with each other and they're, you know, like doing so many things and they, they, when, when they're in an environment where they know that they're there to support each other and that they can ask for help and no one's going to judge them, they're fine. And it's, it's the problem is with a society that doesn't give them that space And so, like, not to speak for anyone else, but I think it's, like, it must be so frustrating to know that, like, other people are saying that you're disabled and that you, you know, have this problem. But if if people could make, you know, physical changes to um, public spaces, then the problems wouldn't exist nearly as much as they do. Yeah. So really thought provoking film. Um, But I guess the guy who fucks the octopus will win the Oscar. (laughs) So. Netflix gets an Oscar either way. I would recommend checking out both of these films, though they're both on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and they're both good in their own right, even if Crip Camp feels a little more meaningful. Um, before we move on, I do got to say there is a major replacement that I would make here, and mm-hmm. it is replacing, um, well, you know, I can't, I can't rightfully say let's replace the mole agent because I haven't seen it. So I will be replacing My Octopus Teacher with Boy State because that film is phenomenal. I think every person in America should watch that film and learn from it. And it made our top 10 list. So I, I know you probably agree with that. Yeah. And I, I again, forgot that it was eligible to be nominated because it just seems like it, well, yeah, it like should how, have been. How yeah. is it not nominated? Um, and yet, again, we haven't, we haven't seen all these other ones, but, but yeah, <laughs> I, I think again, yeah, I think if even between the two that we've seen, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable taking off my octopus teacher at minimum um, <laughs> to make room for boy state. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to then the other category that we saw basically nothing from, Best International Feature. Fortunately, we did see the one that is 100% going to win. That is another round, but the other nominations are Better Days Collective, which was also nominated for Best Documentary, which happens pretty often nowadays. But um, The Man Who Sold His Skin is nomination number four, and Quavadis Aida is the fifth nomination. So, Dana, vote and prediction another round, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this before we move on? No, I was just going to say it's interesting because I feel like we watched a not insignificant number of international films this year. And so I was kind of surprised that not, like that we haven't seen any of these um, nominees. And, and I, I've just started recently seeing some things about um, Quo Vadis Ida, um, and I'm kind of interested in watching it now. Um, so maybe we'll check some of these out but so far yeah i mean i think that you know we're we're able to speak pretty safely to say that another round's gonna take this home yeah so would you have a replacement that you would want to put here um like one of the films that we did watch that you thought was particularly good could could baccarat have been nominated i don't know um yeah you're right it was eligible i just looked it up and i i don't know that's a good point that one got a lot of buzz too yeah, maybe I'm, maybe it's because it's not fully in a foreign language. I I don't know, but but then again, Parasite. But it's a but it's an international film. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe they just didn't like it. But you know what? You're right. There's there's a great <laughs> example. We have seen at least one international film other than another round, and uh, it was good. So 
Okay, cool. I feel validated in myself. So we can move on. Best animated feature. We've got Onward, Over the Moon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Now, I will be entirely candid and say that we did not watch a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, nor did we watch Over the Moon. Um, but this is easily soul for both my vote and my prediction. I have no replacement. I think the only one that could feasibly stand a chance here is Wolfwalkers, but I think Wolfwalkers would have had to won at the Golden Globes or something, and it didn't. So this is soul 100%. Yeah, I agree. I think that if it had pulled off another upset, I think you know I can maybe see it happening, but the fact that it hasn't done it yet, um, I would be surprised if Wolfwalkers... Um, did, I would be fine with it. Like, I think it was a good movie and I'm not like so passionate about soul that I would be like, I can't, I'm yeah. <laughs> incensed, but I do think that soul is a really solid movie. I do think it, um, it deserves the win here. It's funny though, because I do, um, work with kids and I feel like none of them have seen it. Like I <laughs> like the cultural impact of soul on this generation of elementary schools is like so far non-existent. I thought you said at one point you saw Soul 22 on yeah, someone's backpack. And then I, I asked her about it and she had like no idea what it was. <laughs> and then I, I remember talking to this this one other kindergartner and I like we were like, oh, did you watch any movies this weekend or whatever? And then I was like, oh, you should watch Soul. And she was like, I don't know anything about Souls. I'll stick to Frozen. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I tried. Yeah, well, Frozen is pretty good, so... I would say Souls is better, but her soul. <laughs> um, what are kids watching then? Are they watching Sean the well, Sheep watching, of Farmageddon? No, they're watching Frozen over and over again. Okay. And they're watching Octonauts and they're watching The Descendants. I'm not assuming the one not with George the Alexander Payne-directed no. movie about, Another one. <laughs> about George Clooney being cuckolded from the grave. Yeah. So it's the one where the kids are descendants of disney villains right yeah i actually know nothing about it even though i've been told about it by multiple <laughs> young <laughs> <I> remember people <laughs> one time i was listening to like a disney playlist on amazon music because at the time i didn't want to pay for spotify music spotify please sponsor me i now pay for you and a song from the descendants came on and i was like i don't know what the crap this is get me back to like little mermaid but i listened to it and it was actually pretty good yeah. it was, it was hmm. the song slapped maybe i'll check but it out anyways um soul it's going to win. I don't I don't know what else to to say about this. Let's go ahead and take a break here and when we return, we'll continue our Oscars 2021 prediction by going to the screenplay categories. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. 
All right, we are back, and we are talking about our Oscars 2021 predictions. So the next category that we have here is Best Adapted Screenplay. So I will save everyone the trouble of not reading everybody who was nominated for the Best Adapted Screenplay. I will just name the title of the movies, which Priyanka Chopra Jonas did not spare us. <laughs> so she went and said Borat subsequent movie films, entire list of like 18 screenplay people, writers, whatever you want to call them. I think twice because it was also nominated for something else, right? I don't know. The Anyways, screenplay? Uh, we've got for Best Adapted Screenplay, Borat subsequent movie film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. I think what Priyanka Chopra Jonas did was she read the entire title first of Borat subsequent movie film. You know, there's like the subtitle. Yeah, that's but like, then she also read everybody who was nominated yeah, no, no, for the no, screenplay. Yeah, but I think that that's what she, like, I right, think it was both right. of those things. Well, so I think she did it again when, was well, Maria Bakalova was nominated. So oh, she yeah. did it again then. Yeah. So she said the entire title twice. And it was like, you don't need to do this, but. <laughs> um, okay, best adapted screenplay, Dana. Who's your vote? Who's your prediction? So my prediction is Nomadland. Yeah. Um, and I, I did have this as my vote until a few hours ago. Um, but Nomadland is adapted from a book that's also called Nomadland that came out in 2017. And I haven't read the book, um, but it feels um, successful in that, you know, um, some, some of the people who the book was about are in this movie themselves. They're playing themselves. Um, and it's really impressive. Um, I don't know what the screenplay looked like, but to have, um, you know, people who aren't actors, you know, just keeping up with Frances McDormand and it seems very organic. Um, I, I thought that it was really awesome. I did change my vote to the father. Um, I think this is based on a play um, and you can, you can tell from the beginning, you were like, this mm -hmm. is definitely based on a play. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but I think that the way that this is the story and this is structured is, is so cool. Um, it is um, as you probably know about an aging man who has dementia and the way that um, it sort of conveys his his disorientation by playing with time and playing with um, what people look like is is really cool. And it's something that I haven't seen anything like it before. So that is my vote. Yeah, I think that's a really good pick. Um, the Father has a really, really good screenplay. I want to find a way for it to be nominated so, or I mean for it to win. So that's why I have it in film editing. So I, I don't think it's going to win here, but I think that's a that's a good personal vote. And I agree. It's it's a wonderful screenplay, um, really moving, really good at kind of calling back to other scenes and mm -hmm. weaving this sort of web yeah. of chronological time, but also just like this narrative web. Um, that is not what I went with. I went with One Night in Miami, which is also based on a play. It was written... The play was written by Kemp Powers, and so is the adapted screenplay. And I feel like it's one of the only films from this crop of films that was adapted from plays that sort of transcends feeling like a play. And I really think just the way that these characters, all four of them, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown, um, the way that each of those characters ha feels like a fully fleshed out human being, has these nuanced ideologies, the way that they bounce off of each other, I think is just really dynamic screenplay writing and so i would totally vote for that one if i could of course my prediction is nomadland it's it's a train and it's going to keep going and i think for what it's worth chloe Zhao does deserve to be nominated for this i would love to see how much of what was said by the non-actors was written 
for them to say by Chloe Zhao versus them sort of just riffing mm-hmm. and them sticking a camera at somebody and pointing and shooting. Mm-hmm. So uh, who knows? Either way, Nomadland, I think, is a really well-deserved win when it wins here. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I would be perfectly happy with, with One Night in Miami winning and getting some some recognition, as we mentioned earlier. It's it's probably going to be a tough night for it. Um, I'm glad that it got nominated in some places. But it's sort of, you know, it's unfortunate that it's getting overshadowed because that was a movie that when it ended, like you and I were both like, what did you think? Like, what did you think? And we were both like, that was so good. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it's just it's just fun. And like you just like it's like almost like energizing to watch. And so, yeah, I think that it, it is definitely deserving here. And even though it's not my vote, it's something that I I can be perfectly happy with. Yeah. And I don't have a replacement for this category because I think that the five nominees here are really, really good. Yeah. I think the kind of odd one out or maybe the two odd ones out are The White Tiger and Borat's subsequent movie film. But both of those screenplays are really fantastic. So I really like that they were able to give a nod here to The White Tiger. Kind of surprising. Yeah. And we both really liked The White Tiger. I will say, though, that I think that one thing that for me I thought was a little bit lacking was the pacing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the way that the movie comes to a conclusion didn't work so much for me. But I believe I read that that's also how it happens in the book. So I don't know that that is a fault <laughs> of the screenplay. And then, yeah, it's interesting about Borat because I wonder how you write a screenplay for something where so much of it is Sasha Baron Cohen and Maria Bakalova like going to talk to people and not yeah. knowing what they're going to say back. Um, so, I that yeah, that would be really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... Either way, great. I I think it's a really great list of nominees here. And same with Best Original Screenplay, if you want to move on, Dana. Um, Best Original Screenplay, we've got Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy the screenplays of all five of these movies. I think maybe the one that sort of sticks out a little bit is The Trial of the Chicago 7. I know a lot of people aren't as warm on that film as I am. But I think the screenplay of that film is really, really good. So this was really hard for me to pick what my personal vote was. What was your vote and prediction? So for my vote and prediction, I had Promising Young Woman. Um, I do think it's going to win. It's been winning a lot of the precursor awards, um, Emerald Fennell. And I think that she is very deserving. I think that this is a really compelling story, um, has a lot of energy to it. Um, I love the way it moves and it feels it feels fresh and of this time do you feel that there's any sort of backlash to promising young woman now now that like more people are seeing it because i've started to notice that, yeah. that people aren't as warm on it yeah but i think that is for mostly being experienced by the extremely online um yeah. among which i count myself um and i think i think that it's mostly do you like know people that have seen this I know, I know a few. Yeah, and um, they like it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they're they're not like film Twitter people. I mean, I I don't. I'm you're the only person I really associate with. <laughs> I would describe as a film Twitter person. Um, and I, I mean, I I do think that there are things about this that I can certainly imagine a lot of people not liking. But I can imagine a lot of people not liking it for bad reasons. Yeah. And we don't care about those. But like, there I there are also valid reasons to have issue with it. And I and I you know, would be the first account those is valid. Um, it, it works for me. Not everything about it. There are, I have qualms with it and I'm sorry that I'm being so opaque, but I'm trying not to spoil anything. Sure, yeah. Um, but I, I think that like, I think it's valid to have issues with it, but I'm, I'm not 
the backlash hasn't changed my mind that okay. it's a good movie. And that it hasn't changed your mind that you think it'll win. Correct. Yeah. So um, my prediction is also Promising Young Woman. I was sort of being devil's advocate or just prying your your mind a little bit here because I, I do feel like it doesn't feel like the type of movie that would win at the Oscars. Yeah. But I am surprised that it has a lot of steam going into this. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that this will be the only place that it wins. And for what it's worth, I think it's relatively well-deserved. My vote would actually be Judas and the Black Messiah. I just think that the screenplay for that film is really, really dynamic and well-paced. And it knows how to convey a message while also being just alarmingly entertaining, like almost more entertaining than it deserves to be given the subject matter, which I know is kind of a criticism that some people have of the film of like how much it kind of hypes up this this thing that it, it almost feels like the departed meets civil rights movement. But I, I think the way that the script moves and the way that it puts you in the, the heads of both of these characters, the way that you care about both of them, but you also get really annoyed by the main character played by Lakeith Stanfield and just that conflict and that struggle that you have as a viewer i think can be attributed to the screenplay Mm -hmm. so that would be my vote but um i would not complain if promising young woman won yeah it's hard you know to to isolate the variable of a screenplay from yeah good acting and you know that that's not unique to any one of these movies but it's like when you're saying like what you're saying about Jesus and the Black Messiah, I'm agreeing. But then I'm thinking about the performances. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, they they there's a synergy there and you you know, write a good screenplay hoping to get a good actor come in and and, you know, make it dynamic and make it come alive. And so I think that I don't mean to say like, well, I don't think the screenplay was as good. And I think that it's just good acting that made it good. But I think that sometimes those those elements can sort of push at each other in my mind of like, do I think this is good because I think that the script was really good or do I think that it really got to another level because of the acting? Yeah. Well, I mean, I see what you're saying and I don't think that the movie would be nearly as good if you didn't have Licky Stanfield or Daniel Kaluuya or people of that caliber in the roles. But I do think that if you just look at the screenplay and you look at how it was framed, right? You look at how it's framed through Bill O'Neill's eyes and kind of the ballsiness to do that, to mm-hmm. make somebody that should be a villain, your protagonist, right? And well, that's kind of the out, the whole I know it's it's the conceit, but like I just I really like the way that they do it and the yeah. way that they toe the line of making you almost root for this guy despite knowing what's going to happen and despite knowing mm-hmm. what history says. And like you feel bad for this person, you want this person to do the right mm-hmm. thing. And you know that they can't mm-hmm. and how it still weaves like a narrative that's thrilling and how it creates tension in something when you know the end result and you know that the end result, spoiler alert, is bad. Mm-hmm. I just think is really fascinating storytelling. And I think it does come from the screenplay. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It, it, it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. So fair point. Um, do you have any replacements here? I do not. Yeah, I, I don't either. I will say that I would have loved to have for them to have found a way to include soul in here. Because it does feel like one of those animated films that could crack the screenplay categories here. I don't know where it would go, though. I mean, I guess you could replace Sound of Metal or The Trial of the Chicago 7. But again, both of those films do really good things. And I think if you're going to reward anything to Aaron Sorkin, it's going to be screenplay. So um, I don't know. But I would really like to see uh, Pete Docter nominated here because he was nominated for um, Inside Out. Yeah, for me, the screenplay for Soul is not 
as strong as as Inside Out, and I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, you're comparing gold to platinum. Yeah, or but yeah, but I'm I'm saying like I I I'm not you know against the concept of an animated film being nominated. Sounds like you are. Okay, I just the the <laughs> the the story and script of Soul for me in and of themselves aren't like not the strongest aspects of it. And I, I think, get it. You hate Soul. I think that. You're a kindergartner. You'd rather watch Frozen. The structure of Inside Out is like one of its highlights. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the ideas that got put onto paper are some of what makes Inside Out great. And I think that Soul is more the execution and the the audiovisual product. <laughs> I'm not going to complain if you're saying that Inside Out is a good movie. So um, agree to agree on that one. Let's go ahead and move on to the acting categories. We've got first the Best Actor in a Supporting Role nominations, which are Sasha Baron Cohen um, for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. So we've got both of the lead roles of Judas and the Black Messiah here in the Supporting Actor category, but... Um, that's that's the way the Oscars shake out sometime, I guess. Uh, Dana, what's your vote? What's your prediction here? My prediction and my vote both belong to Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. I I think, you know, he's certainly been winning all of the lead up awards. Um, and he he's so fun to watch, like give speeches and just do things. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we saw him on hosting SNL recently. He just exudes charisma. He seems like he'd be so fun to talk to and hang out with. And, you know, he's he's amazing in in the movie as Fred Hampton. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about um, his age because, you know, in, in reality, Fred Hampton was, what, 21 when he was murdered. Um, and Daniel Kaluuya is 30, maybe something like that. Um, and he definitely looks it. And so, you know, you can make an argument of there might have been someone better to cast. But I think if you watch this movie, it's hard to be like, that should have been somebody else, because I think that he just portrays this this leader so well and i know that many people are mystified as you alluded to about how can judas and the black messiah both be supporting (laughs) actors in the movie judas and the black messiah and i see that you went for the judas in your vote yeah i i'm doing the annoying film twitter thing of intentionally picking the least picked um you know, I really enjoyed the Lakeith Stanfield performance almost as much as the Daniel Kaluuya performance. I think the Daniel Kaluuya performance is louder, it's bigger, it's grander, and so it's going to be the one that's rewarded. I don't know if I would go as far as saying that Stanfield was objectively better than Kaluuya, but I do want to put my vote behind Stanfield because I found his performance also very, very good, and it's just much more nuanced and quiet compared to the uh, the Kaluuya performance. I'm a little worried. Well, I, I'm not. I, w- I was going to say, are are you worried, Dana, that my mentality is shared by enough people in the um, academy that, that this will split the vote and then it'll be given to, I don't know, um, Leslie Odom Jr.? I I can see why one might think that, but I don't think enough people agree with you. Um <laughs> But it is interesting because, so as as I mentioned, Daniel Kaluuya has been winning a lot of the precursor awards, but Lakeith Stanfield hasn't even been nominated in a lot yeah. of them. Um, so it could be interesting to see how that affects this field. Um, 
I think the fact that Lakeith Stanfield was even nominated shows that the Academy really, really liked Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. And it just means that Kaluuya is going to win by more. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, like, I'm glad that there's the only person in this category who I would be upset if they won is Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't have qualms with Sasha Baron Cohen. And I think if he were nominated for Borat, I would be less upset by it. But I do not think he deserves a win here for trial. Um, but like, I, it would be hard for me to be upset about Leslie Odom Jr. or Paul Racy winning because I think that they were both awesome in their roles. But it, it just feels so clear cut to me. It feels so right that Daniel Kaluuya win here. Yeah. Plus, he's on my Star Draft team. So yeah. Okay. They're going to throw me a bone there. I will say I have one replacement here. And as you mentioned, Sasha Baron Cohen is the odd one out here. Uh, it's a fine performance. I just don't think he does anything amazing in it. And he has yeah. a terrible Boston accent. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck that is. But replace him with Bill Murray from On the Rocks. I think that's a really great performance. It's Bill Murray just being Bill Murray. But uh, I don't think anybody would complain if the Academy nominated Bill Murray. So um, that'd be a fun one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine with that because, as I said, I don't care about the Sasha Baron Cohen nomination, but I also don't really care about Bill Murray being nominated here. Like, I don't... Okay, I, don't tell your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure he'll listen, so sorry, Dad. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to Best Actress in a Supporting Role here. We've got Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Ye Jong Yoon for Minari. So I'll go ahead and go first here. Um, my vote is kind of, I don't know if it's out of left field, but this is a really weird category. Um, there's not a huge clear front runner. Well, there wasn't until maybe a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And now there does seem to be one. And that is my prediction. Uh, Ye Jung Yoon is my prediction. I think that she is going to win. Um, my vote is actually going to be Olivia Coleman. Hmm. And... I I know it's like, okay, Olivia Coleman wins all the time, so whatever. But I do really think that her performance in The Father, there's one scene in particular that is her in the kitchen for people who have seen it, I think is just really spectacular. Half and, of the movie takes place in okay, the kitchen. <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know the scene that I'm talking about with the cup, with the mug? Oh, yeah. There, there, fine. It's the one in the <laughs> kitchen with the mug. So, um, <laughs> spoiler alert, I just, I just think that this is another example of why Olivia Coleman is one of the best actors currently working. Um, and that would be my vote. Yu Jung Yoon, I think is fine. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be disappointed if she won, but I, she, her performance didn't necessarily blow me away. I do think in some ways it's kind of a thankless role just because she's playing an elderly woman and, and a role against kids that are much more dynamic, I guess is how I would put it. So I, I'm acknowledging that bias a little bit, but um, for me, Olivia Coleman would be my pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Olivia Coleman, and so does the Academy. So I think that if she's in the running, you can never count her out. But I did also predict Ye Jung Yoon. Um, as you mentioned, she sort of emerged as a favorite, which is interesting because I think that when nominees were announced, I feel like at least we thought this was going to be between Close and Seyfried. And mm -hmm. now that does not seem to be the case at all. Yeah, poor Seyfried. I mean... She's I, young, she, though. She's like, she has so much time. Yeah, but it, it was a great performance. I will say that. that That's another one that I would be pretty happy if she came out of nowhere and won that first Mean Girls to win an Oscar. Yeah. Um, I did uh, throw my vote to Maria Bakalova. 
I do think that she does an amazing job in Borat, subsequent movie film, yeah. yada, 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 Mike Pence, um, <laughs> in keeping up with Sasha Baron mean Cohen. Rudy Giuliani? No, the, the title of the um, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> the movie is like, it's like something gift. Mike Pence to isn't the, in it. No. It's like prodigious but, bride but the, to like, yeah, make The premise America. is that she, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. offering um, her to Mike Pence. Um, but I, and you know, I think that comedians and comedic actors aren't recognized enough um, on this platform. And I think it would be a statement to recognize someone in this kind of role for doing really unique work, um, doing something that I can't imagine, you know, anyone who had sort of already been recognizable doing, because I know that a lot of the reason that Sasha Baron Cohen cast her was because he was like, uh, people know like the Borat character and I need, in order to be able to make another movie, I need like a surrogate who I can like send in places who like people won't know who she is. <laughs> yeah. And I think she does a great job. I do want to know, I think it's funny that um, Jodie Foster, who won the Golden Globe, is not nominated um, in this category. Neither is Rosamund Pike. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's true. Um, well, she wouldn't be a supporting, would she? Like, no, she would but be... she's not nominated yeah. in Best Actress. Yeah. Um, but... Golden Globe's going to Golden Globe. Yeah. But at least for, for, the, for lead actress, that was like a separate category for a comedy or musical but i think for supporting right. it's just one category and so they chose i believe jodie foster over all other supporting actresses yep. in this cycle <laughs> um and the academy said no um which is fine because i don't think she was that much of a standout in that role but to Rahim, that would have been a cool nomination yeah that would have been but, cool yeah. um it will be crazy if after all is said and done they do give this to glenn close um <laughs> who still needs her oscar and i think it would be a shame for her to get it this way but alas i really hope that they do just to watch also Mike from Mike, Mike and Oscar yeah. just have a, a conniption. He yeah. Would lose oh, I, his think, damn mind. I think that it would be really funny to go on Twitter after if she yeah. wins. Yeah. So the, the chaotic evil in me would vote for Glenn close, I guess. But uh, yeah, no. So I, I think anybody else, though, I'd be pretty happy to, to see win because all of those performances are pretty great. Let's go ahead and move on to the two big actor nominations. We've got best actor in a leading role. First, we've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yoon for Minari. I mean, what's to say here? Yeah. Chadwick Boseman is going to win. Mm -hmm. He's got our vote. He's got our prediction. Uh, what do you want to say about this category? Yeah, I think that he absolutely deserves to win. And I think that everyone will be happy to see him win. And it will be just kind of like, there's just no point in putting the public through the backlash of yeah. if he does not win. <laughs> I will say that I think in another year, there's a really good chance that Anthony Hopkins wins this. Um, and par partially because, I mean, and as we've seen someone being young, I guess, isn't a reason not to award them. Because as we saw the world having had Chadwick Boseman abruptly taken from it, that that anything can happen. And, and Hopkins has already won, so it's not like a he needs his Oscar thing. but. I do think that um, he's amazing in The Father and I, it, the kind of performance, too, that the Academy loves. And yeah. I think that he would have beaten Joaquin last year, I think. I think he would have beaten Rami the year before that. Um, but I also think, you know, other than Gary Oldman, I think that the other four nominees, like, I think that could be true of any of them. I think I really, really like four of these nominees. Um, I really like Stephen Yun, Riz Ahmed, Chadwick, and Anthony, I think, are all 
amazing performances. Yeah, this category kind of makes me think about how stupid the Oscars are sometimes. Like, why are we comparing these people at all? I mean, (laughs) in any other year, Anthony Hopkins would be the best performance of the year. But Mm -hmm. it just happened that Sony Pictures Classics released this to three movie theaters the same year that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom came out on Netflix and happened to have a performance from one of the greatest actors of the generation, three generations below Anthony Hopkins. And he also tragically passed away. Like, so Anthony Hopkins losing here just seems silly because as you're saying, it's a career best performance from the guy who played Hannibal Lecter. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I I mean, uh, we didn't really talk about this because we kind of just got off of watching The Father, but I was blown away by how amazing The Father was just in spite of it feeling like something that we kind of felt obligated to do, Mm -hmm. right? And it it reminds me of a lot of other Sony's picture classic movies like The Wife, which I never saw and have no interest (laughs) in seeing. And it just felt like one of those, oh yeah, it's one of those Oscar ones. The Two Popes was Mm -hmm. the year before that, right? It felt like one of those movies, but it really is just easily one of the best performances I've ever seen from anyone. Mm -hmm. And it just, I mean, I guess that's another testament to Chadwick Boseman's performance that that one's even quote unquote better. But I mean, like Anthony Hopkins, he's defined by his presence and how regal and how much persona he has. Or I'm not, I'm -hmm. I'm struggling to think of the word. It's a really common word, but just like how prodigious of a a Mm -hmm. person he is and how Mm -hmm. imposing of a figure he is as Hannibal Lecter, as (laughs) Odin in the Thor movies. Mm -hmm. And to see him get reduced to what he has to do in The Father is Mm -hmm. really, really heart breaking Mm -hmm. and i don't think you get that with you know just any random Mm -hmm. actor oh yeah for sure it's just it's such an amazing performance yeah it is it is truly you know astonishing how he can go from being so big of a presence to being so weak and like it's that weakness almost that is so impressive that um and how convincing it is, yeah. right? How it feels like you're watching your grandfather. Yeah. You're not watching Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And to speak for myself, I I knew that I was going to think this movie was really good, but a lot of the reason I didn't want to watch it is I knew I, it would be really upsetting, and it was. Um, and I do think that, you know, if you are, you know, in a family situation where this could be potentially upsetting for you, it might be something that you should not watch right now. Like, it is definitely yeah. something to... Like, not just, like, throw on and be like, I heard this was good. Like, yeah. um, you it's, know. It's hard to recommend. I was thinking, yeah. like, you know, we have this for another 24 hours and my parents are the same Amazon account that I do. Like, do I recommend this to my dad? I, I feel like it would almost, especially if I was a bit older, like, this is close to being absolutely horrifying. Yeah. And it's horrifying for us because we're thinking about our parents and, you know, our grandparents for mm-hmm. you. And, like, I, I don't. I couldn't imagine being my dad's age, like 60, 65, whatever, and thinking that, holy shit, this could happen to me in a couple of years mm-hmm. if I get unlucky. You know, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, you were, I didn't want to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's worth saying. And also another reason that we didn't watch this movie until now is because it cost $20 to rent. <laughs> <And Yeah. laughs> we were waiting for the price to go down. And I was like, I bet that, th- and you know, you can quote me on this of, of the entire podcast. You can quote me that the Monday after the Oscars airs, this will start costing $6.99. Instead of $19.99. Instead of $19.99. Yeah. 
Um, but it, it was worth it. Um, and I'm I'm sad in advance to know that Anthony Hopkins. I mean, he's fine. And also, if I don't, he's know if in you, like Hawaii. Have or you ever something. seen like videos of him? Like just like who he is as a person. He is just the most delightful man. Like yeah. he has a cat, <laughs> and like he just seems like he has so much fun. Um, and he is a national treasure. For, well, not for our nation, but he is someone else's national treasure. <laughs> he is the UK's national treasure. Yeah, well, um, you know, I we didn't really talk about Chadwick Boseman too much, but I, I think it's just because, you know, I have podcasts episodes out there that we have talked about Chadwick Boseman. We talked about him during the Golden Globes, um, and he was also in our top five actors of, you know, the 2020 that I did with Pat Burke from uh, the Star Draft, so... You can definitely check those out. It it is a really amazing performance, and mm-hmm. I don't want to undercut that. It's yeah, just that there's sure. a lot of other really great performances here as well. So, yeah. um, an embarrassment of riches. I think the Oscars yeah. did a really damn good job in a lot of these categories. Yeah, I feel like you know when you know early pandemic, a lot of people were like, well, "Should we there even have an Oscars? Like, there's not going to yeah. be any good movies." And like, while there weren't a lot of blockbusters. Those aren't the movies that normally get nominated anyway. Nominated here, yeah, true for Top Gun Maverick. You never know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, good point. Let's go ahead and go on to Best Actress in a Leading Role, which is easily the most mystifying category that is this big that we've seen at the Oscars in a long time. We've got nominated Viola Davis, who is the SAG winner for this award. Andra Day, who is the Golden Globe winner for this award. Frances McDormand who is the BAFTA winner for this award, and Carrie Mulligan, who is kind of like a maybe a heavy favorite. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's a heavy favorite. Yeah. And then we also have Vanessa Kirby, who delivers, quite honestly, one of the most horrifying performances and really quite amazing performances of the last year from Pieces of a Woman. So we have five really, really strong contenders. Um, Not to insult Vanessa Kirby, but I would say four contenders with very yeah. strong um, precursor awards. So who are you predicting here? Who are you voting for, Dana? Yeah, this was definitely tough. Um, and I I went back and forth and, you know, I'm I'm still amenable to, to swaying here. But I did throw my vote to Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Um, I think that her performance, I kind of like hate when this word gets thrown around about her performance, but I think it's very raw. Um, (laughs) I think that she really like, and maybe it's because like she doesn't have that much of a public persona, but like, I feel like she is able to just really like get so lost in a role. And maybe it's especially in something like Nomadland or in a Chloe Zhao film that where She's surrounded by actual nomads or people who are living this life, but it's so blended and like you don't like notice like this difference between this, this, you know, acclaimed actress and, you know, Linda May or, you know, the people who do live in out of their vans. And I think that um, she deserves recognition here. And I think that many of these women do. I did predict Viola Davis, Mm. who I think is in and of herself just a colossal presence in everything she's in and everywhere she goes. And I think that in a character like Ma Rainey, that presence is able to really command a lot of the movie. And again, it's interesting, again, as I say, because Chadwick's performance is what so many people took away from this movie. But the again, it's just I ha- I cannot shake the image of Viola Davis as Ma Rainey, who in... in 
the context of the world of the movie just is someone who everyone around her is sort of, you know, oriented towards her and orbiting around her. And I think that that is something that will garner a lot of attention from people who are looking for, you know, what to award. And I think that some of these roles are a little bit more subtle. Not that everyone in the Academy is just like an idiot and like needs something <laughs> shiny, but like, I don't know, maybe. Um, but I don't know. And I think she kind of has some momentum kind of mounting late in the game. But I do think that this is pretty much anyone but Vanessa's game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I agree with everything that you just said, um, both your rationale and your picks. Francis McDormand is my vote and Viola Davis is my prediction. Uh, it'll be interesting if we are correct and Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman win for the acting awards and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. That'll be kind of weird. Yeah. And there will be a narrative about that. The only other question here I have then is, do you think Carrie Mulligan is sitting on the outside looking in? Because it, for a while it felt like this was hers to win and then she never really picked up the wins that we thought she would pick up. Yeah, and I do wonder if the contingent of people who are campaigning really hard for Carrie Mulligan are a younger, more online mm. crowd. And so we are being disproportionately exposed to those voices is maybe a possibility. Yeah, that's that's certainly possible. Um, I don't know. It, it it would be interesting to see. I mean, again, you're right. She's she's young. She's going to have plenty of other opportunities to get awards here. Uh, it, it just is weird because Viola Davis also has a nominee, like she already has a win. Frances McDormand has two. So if she wins, she'll be like one of three actors, uh, sorry, actresses, I should say, to have three acting nominations or na acting wins. The other is like Meryl Streep. And I want to say Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn, one of them. I don't know. But um, yeah, this is a really wide open category. I think if you're going to try and make some money. It might be here where you want to do it. Just be prepared to also lose money. Yeah. Because, I don't know, Andre Day could come out of here. I'd be kind of surprised. But I do think that Viola Davis, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan all have a really good shot here. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and round out with the two big awards for the night. Uh, the first one is Best Director. We've got Thomas Vinterberg, David Fincher, Lee Isaac Chung, Chloe Zhao, and Emerald Fennell. What are your thoughts here? I mean... I think it's pretty clear cut, right? Yeah. And I see we both have for vote and predict Chloe Zhao. She's won every award leading up to this. And it is absolutely hers to lose. No contest. It will be a huge shock if she is yeah. upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's super deserved. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really like her film, The Writer, but uh, what she's able to do with Nomadland, we've already talked about it, what she's able to pull out of these non-actors. It's all really phenomenal. This is really well-deserved. I really like these five nominations. Um, I was really surprised when that was announced and Thomas Vinterberg was on there just because, you know, I, I know a lot of people online loved that movie. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I weren't as warm on it. Mm -hmm. We thought it was fine. It's kind of weird to see him nominated here. I think that's just sort of a byproduct of that film just being destined to win Best International Feature and mm -hmm. the Academy is getting more international, so... The people voting in that branch are the same people voting in the director's branch. So at least for the nominations. So it makes sense there. But if I were to replace some people here, I would certainly replace Thomas Vinterberg and or David Fincher with Shaka King for Judith and the Black Messiah, which, as we said, has been nominated a crap load. I, I guess nobody directed that movie and <laughs> nobody had uh, a main actor credit in it. Um, and also Regina King 
for One Night in Miami, which I think is really deftly directed. So, um, I don't know, replace Vinterberg and Fincher with King and King. What are your thoughts, Dana? Yeah, I definitely can get behind that. Um, especially it is it is particularly shocking to me that Shaka King, um, that was some fun little word sounds. Um, uh, <laughs> shocking that Shaka King yeah, yeah nice. uh, was not nominated. Even just if you do the math, as you alluded to, of how many nominations Judas got, it's like, well, how can all of the individual components be good, but the person who was yeah. like calling those shots? Um, I, I do think part of it, not to interrupt you, though, um, I do think part of it is that a lot of the credit that Judas and the Black Messiah got was from like the executive producers of Ryan Coogler and mm-hmm. all of those people kind of using their influence to bring Shaka King into this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's right or wrong or whatever, but I do think that now Shaka King is poised to do this again. Mm-hmm. And he now has the power to kind of not be the next Ryan Coogler, but be similar in desirability to a Ryan Coogler type figure mm-hmm. that I think now he might be nominated for best director for his future projects. Mm-hmm. And let's remember that Ryan Coogler has not even been directed or nominated for best director either, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just an interesting point. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no, it's just 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 that that I I am I am really surprised that he wasn't. I'm I'm a little bit less surprised that Regina wasn't, but like not for good reasons. But yeah, <laughs> um, but I I think that she would certainly be worthy amongst these nominees, and I think she was nominated at the Globes. Um, yeah, yeah, because um, there were three women yeah. nominated. Um, which is the first time more than one woman has yeah, been nominated. Um, which is which is cool, and yeah, so I I definitely support your your subs in there cool well congratulations to chloe zhao um we will look forward to your third speech of the night when you get this all right so for best picture which is the final award of the night and the final award of the podcast uh, i thought for best picture it would be fun to rank these from one to ten um not in like order of who we predict or who we're predicting would win but uh just personal preference here before going into who we are predicted to win, which is going to be Nomadland. It's Nomadland is going to win. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. This is super unsurprising. But our nominations are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So, Dana, do you want to uh, count backwards from nine and then give us your vote for the best? Aren't there eight? Picture? You're right. There are eight. Sorry. In ninth place, I have Hillbilly Elegy. Okay, there we go. <laughs> in coming in at number congratulations eight, on killing that joke. It's the last time you'll get to use it. At number eight, I have that's what you think. David Fincher's <laughs> magnum opus, Mank. Um, at number seven, I have Trial of the Chicago Seven. Apologies, Darren Sorkin. At number six, Promising Young Woman. Number five, I have Minari. At number four, I have The Father. At three, I have Judas and the Black Messiah. Number two, I have Nomadland. And at number one, I had The Sound of Metal. I will say that I do not feel at all locked in to the order I put these in, in especially in my top four. I would say I feel pretty like where I have the latter four, I feel pretty confident that on any given day, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. But I really struggled to put these top four in order. And I think if you asked me at a different time or you tried to sway me, I could be really easily convinced to put any of these in any order. I think that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Right. I I think that these films are all 
really good. <laughs> um, I, I know you're not a huge fan of Mank, but for me, I really enjoyed all eight of these films. And this is actually the second year in a row that I could say that. I remember last year, people were really passionate about Parasite. I was one of them. But a lot of people were colder on 1917, which was sort of the one that they thought was going to win. But I freaking loved 1917. So I, I felt like there were very few films in that year. Um, Joker and The Irishman, I, were a little, I was a little colder on. Didn't love those. Yeah, and the, the, the acting races last year were pretty boring. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm just saying that this crop of films and the last year's crop of films, I think I'm pretty happy with mm-hmm. these. And I wouldn't hate if any of these won. I would be surprised if Mank won. I would be a little disappointed that Trial of the Chicago 7 won because it kind of meant that there's a lot of old white dudes in in uh, <laughs> in the Academy. But I mean... Would you really be happy if Mank won? I, I said I wouldn't be that happy. Okay. Like I, I like I wouldn't care though. I wouldn't be like that's undeserved. I'm sure you would, <laughs> but I, I I don't know. So so my rank is number eight. It is Mank. Uh, seven is Promising Young Woman. Six is Trial of the Chicago Seven. Five is The Father. Four is Nomadland. Three is Sound of Metal. Two is Minari, and one is Judas and the Black Messiah. But again, I I think all of these films are deserving to be here. I don't have any replacements really, mm-hmm. which is kind of surprising. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't even think about doing replacements for this category, um, and I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure there's something I could, like, sub in to be at number eight, but that doesn't seem that sure, worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it, it is a good problem to have, to have to have so many movies that could win, and that I could be like, okay, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, well, so, I mean, uh, unfortunately, it's not going to be an exciting night at the very end. Nomadland will win. I think the only way it would be exciting, which would be kind of like a disappointing exciting, because I do think that Nomadland does deserve to win here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think the only other movie that could win here is Trial of the Chicago Seven. It did get that SAG ensemble. Um, maybe Minari could win, but I feel like it would have had to get the SAG ensemble for that to happen, because uh, that's what Parasite did. So um, yeah. Nomadland, I'm I'm pretty confident that this will win. At yeah, the end. I really hope Trial doesn't win, and I'm not even saying that because of my personal lukewarm feelings to it, but I do really dread the reaction. Yeah, which will be not that it's unwarranted, but I almost just like don't want to go through that like discourse cycle if Trial wins. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair. All right, well, with that. We've wrapped up our predictions for the 2021 Academy Awards. We'll see who's less wrong, I think, is the best way to put that, uh, in just about a week. Dana, are you excited? Are you excited for the Academy Awards? I am excited. Um, we will do our our little friendly competition betwixt each other, which last year we tied, actually, yeah. in um, how we did our predictions. So it'll be interesting to see how this evening shakes out. Yeah, may the odds be ever in my favor. Dana, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything specific that you want to plug here while while you have the mic? Um, not really. If you haven't already, subscribe to Monty's YouTube channel, Flygon <laughs> HG. Yeah, yeah, it's it's popping off and it has nothing to do with movies, but um if you like yourself some Pokemon, go go for it. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Dana. You're welcome. <laughs> The intro music for this episode is a piece called A Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. 
That's movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting moviemarathonerspod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie-marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and I hope you'll tune in next time when I'm joined by Aaron Califato from 7 Minute Stories to discuss a film very near and dear to Aaron's heart, the 90s classic Rookie of the Year. It's not a film that I had seen until it was time to have this conversation, so we kind of get both sides of the nostalgia coin. So it was a good conversation. Stay tuned for that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon, so let's take it one movie at a time. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.